2: Pearl Gamble was just 19 years old when she was murdered on the 28th of January in 1961. The shop assistant had been at a dance in an orange hall just outside Newry. Friends gave her a lift home. They dropped her at the bottom of the lane where her house was in the early hours of the morning, just a few hundred yards away from the hall, but Pearl never made it home. A man was waiting for her there, Robert McGladdery. He murdered Pearl in a planned, relentless and vicious attack.
0: It turned out later on when he confessed that uh, apparently he was what we would call today a stalker. So he was a bit of a predator towards women.
2: Suspicion fell on him and no one else immediately. Within less than a year, he was hung in Crumlin Road Prison in Belfast.
0: From the moment he would have arrived at the condemned cell, his intention was to have him dead within one minute.
2: McLattery would always be known as the last man hung in Ireland. To tell the story of Pearl Gamble's murder and the execution of Robert McGladdery, I'm joined by historian Joe Baker and by Charlie McSherry, a neighbour of Pearl Gamble. Joe, you're very welcome to The Bell Tale. Thank you. Whenever I look at a case like this, I think it's always right and proper to begin with the victim. And the victim in this case is Pearl Gamble. She was a 19-year-old shop assistant. Um, She actually was a distant cousin of Robert McLattery, who we'll speak about later can you tell us anything about her or, or, or the circumstances of her death?
0: Well, she was just a typical teenage girl. And uh, as you say, as rightly said, she worked as an assistant shopkeeper. And like all teenage girls at the time, she went to a local dance in uh, one of your youngest halls. Uh, in there, she danced with uh, Robert McLattery, danced twice with Robert McLattery, and then. Things began to take a unfortunate turn later on whenever she left. And then that was the last time she was ever seen alive.
2: It's the worst nightmare for any parent, you know, The your teenage daughter goes to a dance. She doesn't come home. She said goodbye to her friends at 2.15am and uh, set off on her way home. Obviously, what happened to her next, you know... This is part of the court case, but when was she found? How was she found?
0: Well, she was found quite a few hours later. And um, immediately after leaving the dance hall, we don't know really what happened because the only person who could tell us the truth is Pearl Gamble herself. Did she arrange to meet him? Did he follow her? We don't know. And all we do know is that um, several hours later, her partly naked body was found in a field uh, quite, quite a distance away from the road, I must point out, because she was either dragged or she was carried over two fields. And her body was dumped into some McHaythorn bushes. You know, a lot of people are under the impression that she was just strangled. She was strangled, but she was also stabbed as well. You know, so... Um, as I said, the only person that can tell us the full truth is Pearl Gamble because from the moment of his arrest, McGlattery just told nothing but lies right up until the very end.
2: You mentioned McGlattery. That's the man, obviously, who who, who eventually hung yes. for this. But he was the suspect from very early on. Yep,
0: he was a suspect right away. Whenever the police started the interview the people who were in the, the dance there was something that made him stick out because it appeared that he was... I don't think harassing is the right word, but he was very pushy towards Pearl Gamble, and that's what made people take note. And they described what he was wearing. Uh, he was wearing a light colour suit, and that same suit was found in a slurry pit whenever they were doing a search of the whole area around the body. You know, so, now, in fairness, a lot of the evidence was circumstantial, but there was nobody else that it could have pointed towards, and... um and that's how the, the, the whole set of circumstances came around.
2: I mean, Pearl Gamble, it's, it, it is important to say, you know, she was found partially clothed. She she, she she had been stabbed as well. And again, in the lead up to how she'd been found, people found a black shoe, various items of clothing, as, you know, um, over o- over a wide area. So obviously something horrific had happened. I mean, that is clear. She was murdered. So what can you tell us about Robert McClattery? He was the main suspect.
0: Robert McLeodery was—he um, was an unsavoury character, and he was known for outbursts of violence. For example, uh, Pearl was stabbed, so that shows that he was uh, Robert was carrying a knife. And it turned out later on when he made when he confessed that uh, apparently, what he was what we would call the death stalker. So he was a bit of a predator of uh, towards women, and during the treasure, whenever he was arrested he he just denied everything right up until the very end and for me one of the most I'm not putting this over the murder, you know I mean, of course the murder was the most disgusting part of the whole thing, but whenever you look at his statements and whenever the evidence about the suit was being presented to him, he says he no longer had a light blue suit because all his suits were dark, even though he was sitting in the dance hall with it, and what he had done was he tried to blame his friend, a guy called Bill Copeland, and tried to say that he gave the suit to Bill Copeland, therefore trying to implicate his friend in the murder. So if he tried to do that in his friend, it gives you a better idea of the sort of person he was.
2: He had spent uh, a couple of periods in, in Borstal. He had a record of sexual and physical assault of young women. He also had a conviction for stabbing a man in Newry. So... It's hardly surprising I suppose when the police are dealing with this case they would have known the local characters I suppose at this stage, especially in the 50s. It was a smaller society the RUC as it was at the time would have had a more intimate connection I suppose with the community. So the fact that he had been seen interacting with Pearl it's hardly surprising that they immediately zeroed in on him. But you did say the evidence was circumstantial but what was that evidence?
0: Well there was quite a lot of it. Well the close for for, for a start, the fact that the, the, the were seen together at, at the Orange Hall, and there was, uh, you know, for example, whenever he was first arrested, which was a few days later, he was still covered in muck, he had still muck under his fingernails and stuff like this here, and, you know, the suit and the slurry pit which matched his, and uh, there was there was quite a number of other bits, which was, it was, it was quite long because you have to remember his defence, his presentation till the jury lasted something like six hours. You know, I mean, so his man was doing everything to get off. But it's just the police then were, were certainly different than the police today because the police today rely on technology mostly for, for stuff like that, whereas the police in those days, they, they would have knew who done what almost instantly because it was a society where everybody knew everybody. And you have to understand, in the case of McLaurie, he was the only one arrested. No, I mean, there was no other unsavoury characters from the area arrested. You know, nobody else who would have been violent towards women or anything like that. Nobody. And he was the only one that was arrested. So it seems that the police knew exactly who they were looking for as soon as that happened.
2: How did the prosecution describe how this happened?
0: Well, the prosecution went into great detail. And the thing that shocked people the most, believe it or not, more than the murder, was the potential for rape. And... The very thought of that at that time, you know, that was horrendous. You no, know, I mean it had been a straightforward murder. I know there's no such thing, but it had been a domestic argument, and he punched her, and she died. You know, people would have it'd be more forgiven if you know what I mean. But see the see the fact of suggestions of rape, that there would have caused the more more damage and the more hatred than the actual murder. I know it sounds strange, but that's just the way people were.
1: So. This little house here, where she lived. Now, we lived there, so the nearest house, basically. We were the nearest house from that point of view. Or they were the nearest house to our house.
2: I travelled to Newry to meet Charlie McSherry. He was a neighbour of Pearl Gamble at the time of her murder. As a boy, he knew Pearl. He didn't know Robert McGladdery, but his older brothers did, and he often heard them speak of him we visit the townland they grew up in and the site of the murder, where Charlie reflects on his memories of how it unfolded. For you, this is a story, I suppose, which is, 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 is not history because, first of
1: all, you knew Pearl Gamble. Yes, we knew her. In fact, I suppose my older brothers would have known her a little bit better. I was only 10 at the time she was murdered, but she used to walk on the same road when we went to school. She was already working in Uri, of course, in Foster Newells, I think, yes, was the name of the place she worked uh, when she was murdered. But she would have walked that same road and in some cases she would have looked after us because we were only young and uh, sometimes even protected us from some of the local kids who would have had rows with us on the way home. Even then, there was Protestant-Catholic issues in the country, which is amazing. But it was close, uh, shortly after the 1956 Troubles, as they were called, I suppose. But Pearl and her family were, were definitely not in any way linked to that. Uh, Pearl would have looked after my brothers and myself sometimes on the road.
2: We are standing outside a farm building now but in the past this was an orange hall
1: and this was where Pearl spent her last night. It was quite normal I suppose Um, a girl in her late teens um, to go to the local orange hall for a dance she would have had a lift and they would have just dropped her off at the house usually but I suppose it's normal because it was a a clear bright night that she just decided to let them drop her off at the end of the lane which was tragic.
2: Can you tell us what you know about
1: what happened? Well according to local folklore anyway it seems that Maglattery asked her for a dance and she refused the dance and they reckon that's why he ended up her because he left the dance and of course she left later and he cycled to the point where he knew she was getting left off and he killed her so this is where the incident started from this point here this Orange Hall I was brought up actually originally not far from this Orange Hall but my mother would have said she would have seen Midladry running the rocks, as they were called, with his little dog, and this is 55, 1955, around about that time. And uh, my eldest brother, our elder brother, told me that he remembers hiding when he, when they saw him and Laddery coming anywhere near the house, they would have hidden because they were all afraid of him. And that was six years before he, he killed Pearl So he was always known as a wild boy, yes.
2: Pearl would have got a a lift down this road after the dance do we know what time in the morning the dance would have have been,
1: I think early morning 1 o'clock-ish they reckon around about that time Um, yes it's fate you could say it's fate she ended up deciding to walk and I suppose Madlattery himself would have realised that she would have been dropped off Because, what would the point have been if he had cycled to that point and then they simply drove up the lane? So, he he would have known that she was in a habit of maybe getting dropped off. He may even have been stalking her at previous times that she went to the dance.
2: I mean, you did mention that McGladdery, I mean, he he had a reputation all of his life as a wild
1: boy. uh, Uh, Yeah. uh,
2: When we arrived at the lane, Charlie took me through the events following Pearl's murder.
1: It happened on my 10th birthday, and that's one of the reasons I have a clear memory of actually the getting up that morning and hearing of the event. Um, the milkman arrived, and he had done his run up the lane, and he called back at our house, and he, he was speaking to my mother uh, at the top of the steps, and we could see... And uh, that's when we heard the wailing, and we knew there's something terrible had happened to yeah. him.
2: There seems to be no doubt in anyone's head, at, uh, you know, from your description at, at the time, whether Pearl's family, whether the, the police, your own parents, no-one seems to have any doubt of as t- that something terrible had happened. There seemed to be... No-one seemed to think maybe she's gone somewhere to Banbridge or something. No, oh,
1: no, no, there was no doubt. I mean, it fact her shoes were found lying here and clothing with blood on them there was no doubt that's something horrible that happened shoes
2: were found here items of clothing found nearby Pearl's mother and sister were at this crossroads I mean you could hear their distress there
1: were policemen i take it around no not at that point no the police actually did arrive eventually in those days there were no phones so it wasn't easy to contact the police but they arrived with tracker dogs and I, I remember my brothers telling me as well them coming to our house first, obviously that was the first port of call they searched all the sheds, these sheds at the back pulled out hay bales and things that were in there and uh, they searched all these meadows around here first and eventually, of course they would have searched right up through these higher, these fields up at the top Maglattery himself turned up, it seems, and took the Mon Mary dance all over the country. And, of course, probably took great pleasure in watching them searching for him. So This is we were told at the time that he actually searched with them.
2: Suspicion fell on Robert Maglattery immediately.
1: Yes, I suppose... Once they found out what had happened at the dance, uh, and he had it, it seems he had a reputation already. Someone even mentioned that he may have been uh, wanted in England for some sort of incident, but I'm not sure about that. Somebody said he was out on bail, but I can't, I don't actually know the truth of that. But uh, yeah, you're right. I think they had a fairly good notion very quickly of who was involved here but they had to obviously prove it and his mother it seems had hidden his uh, clothing in the septic tank close to where they lived in the Mully village but they were searching these hedges and I think the actual weapon that he used was a large just a large file with a wooden handle that he had bought in Newry and eventually, they did find it. I think they found the file, and that's. It,
2: it does seem now. I, I've been speaking to people locally, and uh, people in Newry say they remember Robert McLattery walking through the town because he wasn't he wasn't held the whole time. He was out. He was out walking about as some sort of regarding himself as some sort of celebrity, uh, and and drawing
1: attention all around Newry do you, do you remember any of those stories? I've heard the stories. Uh, at the time, we wouldn't have known that. Someone even said that he was being tracked um, by a policeman who was put. That was his job to keep an eye on him. It seems, and he deliberately crossed rivers and all sorts of things just to put the policeman through hell. (laughs) Basically, he was that type of person. He was, as they refer to him, as a wild boy. But I think he had a lot of major issues. Events, Robert McGladdery,
2: as we said, was sus- suspected immediately. He received a trial. Um, he was not believed. He denied it, everything, until, until his last evening on earth. I mean, I know, I know you were saying that your parents would have shielded you from this. Yeah. But clearly... The, the murder of a girl who just lived up this lane by a man who lived across that field and he was executed by hanging in less than a year. I mean, that must have had a huge impact on this local community. Would people have talked about it or was it something that people would have never talked about? Because I've heard conflicting views.
1: Well, after the uh, actual execution, I don't remember anyone actually t- talking about it. Joe, I've read back
2: around this trial. It was a profound thing. One of our journalists from the Belfast Telegraph, who it happened to be his his first gig, I suppose, his first trial, was speaking about how fundamentally disturbing the whole thing really was because this was a man who ultimately hung for this crime. And again, one of the reasons we're speaking about this is because he was the last man to be hung in Northern Ireland. But nevertheless, bizarrely, suggestions are that he actually enjoyed this trial somehow.
0: Well, when you look at his, uh, his speech, going on for near six hours, he must have enjoyed it because, you know, the, the whole speech was never released. It was just the, the, the snippets, so to speak. And I think that was an attempt by him, an arrogant attempt, to try and break down the jury, to have the jury looking at their watches going, I want to get back home from my supper or something like this." you know, to try and break them down. And, you know, was he loving the attention it is quite possible because his defence solicitor had told him that he's getting off. You know, and whenever you look at delayed lives the delayed in those days, there wasn't much excitement going around. So there is that possibility. If he was confident enough he was going to get a, get off, then it's quite possible he, he would have. And bear in he'd been on remand, so he wouldn't have had to do prison work or anything like get There, you know, so he wasn't being punished yet. He was just being held. So it's probably good for him, you know, where uh, he was getting a room to himself and uh, three meals a day.
2: The jury eventually found him guilty and he was sentenced to death by Lord Justice Lancelot Curn. And anyone who listens to this podcast would probably think, "Your man again. Uh, he, he comes up quite often. He was obviously someone with a huge reputation, a huge profile, a huge job in, in that period. And he, he sentenced him to death. And McClattery continued to deny the, the charges. So he's then sent... To prison.
0: How long was he there? So he was there for several months, which is normal. You know that's uh, by the time your preliminary inquiry and stuff like this here comes through. That's uh, it's quite normal. And what I should point out as well, whenever you mention about the judge, his defence barrister was also a You know, so there were quite prominent legal circles. But uh, it had to, the defence would have had to prepare their case the prosecution would have had to it, uh, prepare theirs and. Uh, Whenever he was going to the courthouse, it was through the County Antrim courthouse, and whenever he was being taken from the prison to the court, it was just simply through the tunnel underneath the Criminal Road. And then the the trial button went on for some time, and even whenever the appeal was going through, a solicitor still told him he'll get off.
2: He bizarrely wrote a 16-page autobiography in prison, um, which was submitted... Uh, as part of his appeal. I mean it seems seems quite an ego involved here. We, do we have any idea anything more about this autobiography?
0: No, because no. No, it went to it didn't it wasn't a legal document, it went to the Northern Ireland Cabinet and uh it's still closed, which is quite a shame. But he was trying to paint himself in a good light and a good character. And of course he tried to pull the old, you know, look I'm a leading orange man and stuff like this here. You know, trying everything. And it's just that it, it makes you wonder. He was a countryman. Now, I'm not saying all countrymen are like this here, but he wouldn't have had an education through Queen's University or anything like that. So, to be able to do a six hour talk and it was defence in the courtroom, and then to be able to do this basically, what it was was an autobiography, autobiography leaving out the bad. And uh, to be able to do that I I have to give it to him, was quite remarkable.
2: What was the public perception of this trial? How did they feel? How did people feel about this? Was there was there much public interest at the time? No,
0: like all these things, there was loads of public interest, you know. And even though, you know, especially in Crumbling Road Jail, I suppose all the jails, <clears throat> whenever there's an execution, there's always tens of thousands outside, even though they're not going to see anything. But like today, it'd be the same, you know, the gossip and, and and all that stuff. The perception at that time from the community was it's like all the murders and especially the murders that have a sexual motive out and out, out disgust.
2: Before we move on to the hanging and you know we're talking about this so many years later and you know it, it's strange we're not a million miles from Crumlin Road prison here you know I can almost feel a tension building up like I mean it's so profound that someone's life is taken away in this manner even though this, this man and there, there have been some suggestions you know some people I suppose maybe trying to sell books or write articles have some, some suggestions but he did The night before his execution, he he did admit this. He would have been in the condemned cell and on the advice of a clergyman, he he confessed to the murder of Pearl Gamble. So it was the final execution in Belfast Crumlin Road Prison. He would have been taken to the condemned cell. When when would that have happened?
0: Well, on the morning, usually around about 8am. But there's another really interesting point to his confession. He also admitted to other crimes. And I suspect that what he was trying to do was get charged for those other crimes to delay the execution, whereas they didn't bit. Eight o'clock in the morning, well, the night before, the the executor, there's a lot of stories, a lot of rumours that you hear about, about the executions. And whenever the executioner would have came, <clears throat> he would have looked through a hatch. And all he's doing is trying to work out his weight and that there decides the length of rope because the executioners wanted to do a good job. Now, what I mean by that is they wanted to kill them instantly. They didn't want them to suffer. So if you give too much rope, you're going to rip their head off. If you give too short rope, you're going to strangle them. And then, of course, there's the technique of what side the knot's on The nut has to be on one side of the neck for you to strangle or on the other side for it to snap your spine. So he would look, been looking in and, and all this up and from the moment he would have arrived at the condemned cell, his intention was to have him dead within one minute.
2: Harry Allen was the hangman. Uh, what can you tell us about him?
0: Well, Harry Allen was um, it was just as uh, everybody thinks these hangmen were all, these Evil people and stuff like this here. They were just normal people, but they also had trades. You know, I mean, like, say, a Points, they owned bars. And if I can remember right, I think Harry, Harry Allen was a shoe repair. Joe, can I
2: ask you one final question? Do you think Robert McLattery possibly could have been innocent? No. <laughs>
0: There was uh stories came around later that it wasn't him and you know, it was later on and it says in today's courtroom he wouldn't be sentenced on that evidence, which is fair enough. But he would have been sentenced on DNA, you know. But what is it to call it? Sensationalism. And no, he was he was as guilty. The thing that you have to remember, this isn't me just reading stuff and just coming up with a theory. He admitted it. And, and that's the main thing. It's just a pity he didn't admit it all to starting. You know, ease of suffering as a family and what have you.
2: Joe Baker, thank you very much. You're welcome. This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, with Graham Davidson. The assistant producer was Olivia Peden. In making this podcast, I consulted the book McLattery The Last Man Hanged in Northern Ireland by Patrick Gregg. And I also had a look at Hanged at Crumman Road Jail by Stephen Moore.